Well, here's where we're at. Part two tonight, we're doing a second part of a message called Scorpion's Eggs and the Hard-Boiled Truth. If you weren't here last week, you'll have to uh, check that out on iTunes or Buzzsprout. It's, it's available. Uh, we're talking about prayer, uh, and specifically right now, and this, this, uh, this is the way it works for me. I'll just give you a little insight into um, the mind of, of Glenn. Sometimes I get started on things, and then they just sort of unravel on me. So I, originally I thought this would be the whole prayer thing would be three-week series. It's, this is now going to be three weeks, and so it, end, it might be five or six weeks. We could be in, talking about this in March. I don't know. It just sort of goes that way. Paul's happy with that. So that's what happened. So, so this is part two of last week, but I'm actually not going to even get through part two tonight. We'll come back. We'll probably take a little break in a week or so, do some Christmas-themed stuff, and then come back in January and, and, and finish up. So that's just sort of, sort of how it works. But this particular part, Scorpion's Eggs and the Harbill Truth, we're talking not just about prayer, but about some of the, the hard questions that uh, are, are related to prayer in our prayer life. We've been looking specifically, uh, the, the title there comes from the text in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is responding to his disciples. They've come to him with a request, teach us to pray. And so in response to that request, he gives them the Lord's Prayer, uh, first of all, which is sort of kind of what to pray. It's kind of content-based. And then immediately following this section um, about if you ask, you know, if your child asks for an egg, you don't give them a scorpion. And he's, he's really talking here more about attitude in prayer and, and about what our mindset should be as we go to prayer. I think it's, a, it's an important passage. Um, it's an important topic. So, so that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to give you a real quick review. I know that week to week, you forget. I know. Uh, I, I love it when people will tell me on Tuesday or Wednesday, hey, great sermon Sunday. I really like that. And I go, yeah, what did you like about it? I don't know, but it was really good. I thought it was good. Uh, so I, I understand that. I, I'm not, no, no, no criticism. It's all good. I can't remember what I said half the time either. Um, so we'll review real quick and then, and then kind, of, kind of pick up. But in our first installment a couple weeks back, uh, we learned some things about prayer and specifically our attitude in prayer, that we're to pray with shameless audacity. I love that phrase. It means that we pray boldly. We pray persistently. We ask, seek, and knock. Uh, we don't give up. We keep going. It's the whole idea. I, I told you that in the NIV it says, Bold, just the word bold, where the TNIV has shameless audacity. And the difference is, to ask your neighbor to borrow a loaf of bread, that's bold. To knock on the door and wake him up and ask him to borrow a loaf of bread at midnight, that's shameless audacity. It's a difference. And I'm not just talking about praying late at night. I'm talking about just going in and doing it, get, just asking God uh, it boldly. So that's, that was the first thing. We learned that God really wants to answer our prayers. And, and we need to pray with that understanding. Pray also expecting to be ans- answered. That when we pray, we should, we should expect God to, to respond to us. We learn from Thessalonians that you pray continually. And thinking about this, you know, uh, I, I really, th- I'm all for uh, set times of prayer. I think set times of prayer are good. They help us. You know, for me... I, I'm a, I'm a, I like rhythm. I like things to be on track. I like 
schedules and order and structure. And I think having a set time of prayer is good. Prayer meetings are times when you come together with others to pray. It would be neat if you sort of didn't have to announce those, that the Holy Spirit just told everybody, be at this place at 8 o'clock Friday to pray. But that doesn't usually happen. Most of the time, there, there's, a, there's some publication, some announcement, some bulletin, some flyer, some, something that says prayer meeting at this time and you show up. Maybe you have a devotional time in your life and, and you like to pray in the morning. Or maybe you're not a morning person, so you pray before bed. Those times are really good. It's good to have set times of prayer. But I really think that in addition to those, what the Bible teaches is that prayer should be a, a way of life. That we should be praying all the time. And I gave you some examples of that, that... You're, 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 you're driving down Highway 99 and an ambulance goes by you the other way and all the cars are pulling them through. Why not just, just launch a quick prayer? God, just I don't know where that ambulance is going. I don't know those people, but could you just bless them right now? Would you just help those EMTs to take care of those people? You know, uh, maybe you're, you're at the mall. It's a stressful season. Oh, my goodness. You, and, and you see somebody that looks a little stressed out. And just in your, just you don't have to go. You, I mean, if you want to, you can, but you don't have to go over to him. You could just say, "Lord, bless that person." Just bless that person. I told you guys a story about a little man I met one time. Weird little guy, funky little guy. Just dressed really weird. Didn't his clothes didn't match? He was, but he was, he had the his whole head is bald. His whole head smiled. You know, his it wasn't just a, it's just his whole head glowed and smiled. He was just so happy. Not like. You, you look scary. But, but anyway, I, I, this guy was at another church I was visiting there. I was there for four weeks doing a Sunday school class. And I, finally on the four week, fourth week, I went up to him. I go, what is your deal? What, 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 what's, what's going on with you? And he knew exactly what I meant. But why, you're, 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 you're so happy. What is, how does this work? And he goes, you know, I just, I just pray for everybody I see. And this was years ago, I was young, and that was a mind-bending concept to me. I, I, I thought, that's not possible. How can you do that? I go, how do you do that? He goes, I just, God bless him. God bless him. God bless that person. God bless him. He goes, and that's, it just makes me happy. I think, man, there's, there's, he's on to something. So pray continually. We learn from James that prayer is powerful and effective. We learn that prayer is an if-then proposition. Um, Second Chronicles tells us, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then from heaven will I hear and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. But the point of that is this, that our prayers, our prayers have an impact on the outcome of situations in life. And that's super important to remember, that when we pray, it can change the outcome. Things can go one way, maybe, if we don't pray, and another way if we do. So, so our prayer really, really, our prayers really, really are important. So, so that, was, that was our first week. I would summarize, if I was going to summarize those points, I would say this, that prayer is the central kingdom activity. Uh, when you think of the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God, um, there, there's, there's a lot involved in that. There's a lot of things that we might do uh, in the kingdom of God, but prayer would be the, very central. It's a central kingdom activity. So that was our first week. Last week, we started talking a little bit about uh, some of the hard questions related to prayer and about why is it, and, and those questions are, are some of the lesser hard questions are, 
Why do we have to be persistent? If God knows what we want, why don't we just ask him and he gives it to us? Why do we have to do it over and over again? Or, or even further, if God really is, knows what we want, he knows what's good, he knows what's right, why do we have to ask at all? Why doesn't God just do the good thing? Because that takes us out of the equation, and we might ask for something bad, so God could just do the good thing. We, don't, we shouldn't have to ask at all. And then there's a big question. Why is it that sometimes it seems like we ask for an egg and we get a scorpion? It seems like we ask for God to do something good and something bad happens. And, and I gave you several illustrations, one, one being, what if there are two families and, and, and they both have sick children and one prays and their child is miraculously healed. God raises them up and another prays and that child dies. Why is that? And those are hard questions. And those are questions that I think we have to wrestle with and we have to answer. So I'm going to try over the course of this series to, to, to bring some, some answers for some of those. Two things we have to do, though, in order to, to really address those questions, I think. Two things we have to do to, to really come to honest answers. And, and the first one is that, is that we just we really do have to be authentic. We, we have to be genuine and honest in our faith. We, we can't put blinders on and pretend that bad things don't happen and just say praise the Lord all the time, ev- even when we don't feel like it. We, 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 we can't live in denial. We can't just crank out pat answers. We have to really be what my friend Todd Hunter calls real spiritual people. And when Todd talks about being a real spiritual person, he's not talking about being really spiritual. He's talking about being real, down-to-earth, honest, authentic, genuine, and spiritual at the same time. And and I, I think sometimes in the church, there's this idea that we can't be. In order to be spiritual, we kind of almost have to be phony because we have to put on a front that says that everything is okay in my life all the time. And that just isn't really authentic at all. And so I think if we're going to answer some of these challenging questions, then we need to be real spiritual people. And the other thing I think we need to do is this. That is look intently and intelligently (coughs) and honestly at Scripture. And we have to truly, truly... Uh, wrestle with scripture in order to evaluate what it really is teaching and I say that because I know that in the church today there are different approaches to the Bible I I, I understand that and 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 I honor that and value that but there's an approach that is pretty commonplace that goes like this I have a preconceived notion. I, I, ha- I have something that I already have determined that I believe in. I have an answer. So I'm going to go to Scripture and try to find passages that prove me right. In, in other words, I, I've made my decision first, and now I want to prove through the Bible that my decision is the right decision. And, and that's a pretty common approach today. And I want to submit to you, humbly, that I believe it's, it's a wrong approach. I believe it's very harmful. And that, in fact, when we approach the Bible, we should approach the Bible clean. And by clean, I mean like a clean slate. Without preconceived notions, without all the answers already determined, without really you know, saying, I know what I believe and I'm going to prove it. But what does Scripture really teach on this issue? And, and I think it's so important that, that, we, that we learn to do that. And the other thing is that we don't just 
gloss over or skip over the passages that we don't like. And I think that's something else that from time to time happens. There might be passages that disagree with my preconceived notions, so ah, I'll just skip them because, well, I don't understand why they disagree with hmm, me. Um, so all that is, is why we're, we're doing this, and, and I, I skipped this slide a little bit ahead, but last week we looked at one of two reasons that I think are very commonly given in response to why my prayers aren't answered. And I think sometimes if we pray for something, whether that's a healing, uh, a, a, a relationship to be restored, protection, a job, whatever, and that doesn't happen. I think very often we might hear, well, it must not be God's will. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever had anybody tell you that? It's not God's will. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not completely off base here. It must not be God's will. <coughs> Um, we established last week that God doesn't give scorpions. Jesus said that, right? God is the giver of good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God gives good things to his children. He doesn't give bad things. If we ask God for an egg, he's not going to give us a scorpion. Jesus tells us that it's not in the nature of God, nor is it in the will of God, to do bad things or to give bad things to his children. Now, you know, I, again, I use the example, I, I think of, I, I know I, I talked about my dad passing away, but, but also like, a, you know, the illustration of two families and if one child's healed and one child dies, I want to clarify. I'm not saying that death is, uh, is never God's will. Death is the natural natural <coughs> progression. It's part of life. And we're, we're all going to die. I mean, look, Enoch, Elijah, okay, maybe. But if anybody gets taken to heaven, God bless you, most of us are going to die someday. So I'm not saying that death is never God's will. What, what I am saying, though, is that when we ask God for good things... And tragedy happens. When we ask for healing and God doesn't heal, when, when, when a child dies from illness, I was reading the paper, uh, I think it was yesterday, it might have been Friday, I don't know if you guys saw the story, NFL football player in Kansas City shot, shot and killed his 22-year-old girlfriend, three-year-old three baby, three-month-old baby, sorry. And then he's 25 years old himself, went to the practice facility, Asked him to get the coach. The coach and the general manager of the team came out, and he said, thank you for giving me a chance to play, and then he shot himself. I don't know the backstory. I don't know this guy's history or anything about him, but let's just say hypothetically he's struggling in life. He's having a hard time. Maybe his mom, somebody, aunt, Mildred, I don't know, is a Christian, and they've been praying, and they've been asking God to turn his life around change him, let, let him find you. It didn't happen. Tragedy happened. That's not God's will. Those kinds of things in life are not God's will. God does not give us scorpions when we ask for eggs. And, and, I, and I think it's uh, an unbiblical response. I, I think the question, why were my prayers not answered, is a valid question. And that's why I'm taking the time to address the question. The answer that it wasn't God's will is 
not a legitimate answer. It, 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 it may be in some situations that you've prayed for things that are outside the will of God, but by and large, God does not will those things to happen. In the case of, and, and here's, here's the, the primary example of that to me, anytime we pray for someone to come to know God, whether that's your children, other loved ones, neighbors, friends, co-workers, we pray that they'll find God, that they'll come to know Him, and they don't. We know that that's not God's will, right? You can't say, I prayed for my friend Bob for 20 years to become a Christian, and he never did. So it must not be God's will, because we know, Scripture teaches us, that it's His will for everyone to come to know Him. So that answer doesn't hold up. It, it, just, it, it just doesn't work. So my point last week, and reemphasizing now a little bit, while God's will is important, and we want to know God's will, and we want to pursue God's will, and we want to seek God's will, and, and that's another message that we can talk about, knowing God's will in our lives. It's a very important variable in the prayer equation. God's will does matter. It does count. Um, but it's not the only variable. It's not the only thing that comes into play when we pray. Uh, there are other things. We talked last week a little bit about free will and how both human beings, you and I, as well as angelic beings, are, are actually all unrestricted free agents. And, and what that means, an unrestricted free agent in sports is somebody who can go sign, go play with anybody they want. They're not under contract. We're unrestricted free agents in this way, that we can, maybe, maybe we don't know God's will. We're just going through life trying to figure it out. Maybe we do know God's will. But we can say, no. No. That's God's will. I, you know what? I, honestly, I, I think my, my way is a better way. So God's will would have me move this direction in my life. I'm going to move this direction in my life. We can say yes. We can, we can align our will with God's will, which is a great situation. When we align our will with God's will, we really begin to see kingdom things come to pass. But we can also say no. We can also say, no, I don't, I, I'm not going to do God's will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a different way. That's, that's a possible thing. We... So, and the whole issue, when we talked a little bit about Daniel last week, but there are, there are angelic beings that also have free will that can interrupt the process. And that, again, you can listen to last week to get that. But there's a lot happening there. We said that prayer is spiritual warfare. The warfare is real. There's a war going on. We have two primary weapons in warfare, acts of kindness, kingdom acts. When we extend ourselves in mercy and love to others in the name of Jesus, that's a weapon of warfare. We advance the kingdom. The other primary weapon we have is prayer. When we pray, we move God's kingdom forward. The littlest prayer, the tiniest little prayer, that little prayer you pray when the ambulance goes by and you say, God, help those people, that moves the kingdom of God forward, the smallest things. So that's a review. Tonight I want to look at the second response, I think, that's given very often uh, as to why my prayers aren't answered. Anybody want to venture a guess at what it is? You, you pray for things, and somebody might say, well, it must not be God's will, or, Paul? You don't have enough faith. That's the answer. Sorry, he got it first. Nice try. I mean, next time. <laughs> um, very often, I, I've had this said to me uh, a number of times, 
Not lately, because I think the last person that stood, I poked him in the eyes, and that kind of got around, and so, so nobody said it for a while. But um, sometimes you might hear, uh, you just must not have enough faith. The, the reason that your sick child died while another was healed is you just don't have enough faith. If you had had enough faith, you would have gotten that job that you prayed for. If you had enough faith, you would have been healed, but you don't have enough faith, and so it's, it's, it's just that simple. Let me just off the top here, I'm going to point out the obvious, okay? I'm just going to point out the obvious. If that were true, then those Christians, whoever they are, and I've never met any, but that have figured out how faith works and got it down and know how to have enough faith, then nothing bad would ever happen to them, right? They would always be healed. They would never be sick. They would always get the job. They would never run out of money. They would never have an act. Nothing bad would ever happen to them. But as far as I can tell, and again, maybe they're out there somewhere. I'd love to find them. I've never met any that that happens. So I, I just don't know that that really is, is very valid in terms of uh, why prayers aren't answered. Um, see, the first an- answer that we looked at last week, it's not God's will, kind of puts the responsibility, it puts the blame on God, so to speak. Well, if your prayers weren't answered, it's, it's probably God's fault. This one, this answer, it's your fault. If your prayers aren't answered, you don't have enough faith. If you don't have faith, what happens? It's, so really, it's your fault that your prayers weren't answered. Again, I'm going to say this humbly, but sincerely, I really feel that that's a guilt-inducing and a damaging and, and a very unbiblical response. And I have encountered people in my life whose faith, their Christian walk, has been destroyed by that. They experienced tragedy in their life, and they were told that this happened because you didn't have enough faith, and they lost whatever faith they had. And they've walked away hurt and bitter and angry at God and really destroyed in terms of their ability to move forward in any kind of walk with God. Now, you, you might be saying right now, maybe you are, well, wait a minute, I, you know, but the Bible says that. The Bible says if you have enough faith, it'll be done, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it says that many times. Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can see to the, say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus, once again, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do as done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I will choose not to ignore those texts, even though my point is that our faith is not the only variable in terms of our prayer life with God. I, w- I want to affirm this, and I want to say this. The Bible does emphasize the importance of faith. Faith is central paramount in, in our Christian walk. We can't, you can't get from here to there without faith. 
as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, you can't get from here to there without faith. It's also very important. It's, 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 it's very central in our prayer life. We, Jesus says we have to have faith for our prayers to be heard. So faith is very important. Faith is very important. But faith is not the only thing that happens, and it's not the only factor in terms of our prayer. Um, we, we, we looked at God's will. We looked at free will. We warfare, all those things. There's other variables, and we'll eventually get to some other things, I think, that play into this too. Um, but in, gar- in regard to faith, I want to say this. I'm going to go on record. Faith, is, it, the Bible, is it's very, very, very clear. It's very clear that faith is required for prayer to be answered. We have to have faith for our prayers to be answered. Faith is very important. If we are going to pray to God and ask Him to, to do things we have to have faith and belief in him that he can do those things. Um, I'm going to use some examples of healing because I think there's a lot of them in the scripture. But let me say that the principles I'm going to give you right now in terms of healing will apply equally to other prayers as well. So the same principle that applies if you pray for healing would apply praying for uh, you know, protection, for a job, for whatever, whatever else. They all apply. So Faith is an interesting thing in the Bible in in relationship to prayer because of this. While faith is absolutely an essential element, it's got to be in the mix, there has to be faith for for prayer to be answered and for God's kingdom to be released. Whose faith that is varies a little bit from situation to situation. Um, Here's a couple examples. One is, this is Jesus said to her daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the story of the woman that had the issue of blood. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years, gone to the doctors, done everything she could do, couldn't get it to stop, touched the hem of Jesus' robe, and was immediately healed. Jesus felt the power go out. He turned to her and he said, your faith has healed you. So in this situation, the person's own faith brought healing into her life. She was healed by her faith. There's another situation. Since they could not get him to Jesus, this is the guy that was paralyzed. His friends brought him. They couldn't get to the house. Jesus is in the house teaching. They want to they take him to Jesus. Crowd's too heavy. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And he healed that man. Interesting story. Because... We don't know anything about the guy other than that he's paralyzed. They don't give us any background to him. We don't know if he had any faith or not. I, I don't even know. I, I mean, we, I'm, I'm speculating. I don't even know if he wanted to go to Jesus. Maybe maybe his friends came and said, hey, we hear about this guy, Jesus. He heals people. We're going to take this. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go. They go, well, you know what? You can't get up, and we're going to take you. So they just took him, you know? I mean, sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what, but we, but Jesus saw his friend's faith, the faith of the others that brought him to Jesus and healed the man because of their faith. So while faith is absolutely essential in terms of healing and prayer being answered, uh, whose faith can vary a little bit? Now, this is, this is it, okay? This is, this is the... This is, this is it right here. I like that a lot. You know why I like that? 
You know why I like that a really, really lot? Because sometimes my faith levels are a little low. Sometimes I pray for something, and I pray and pray and pray and pray, and it doesn't seem like my prayers are getting far, and God doesn't seem to be hearing, and I get discouraged. And almost every time I begin to lose faith, someone else will have faith. And someone will send me a text or a note or an email or give me an encouraging word and say, hey, I'm praying for this with you. And their faith helps me through. And when your faith levels are low, my faith can help you. I want you to know that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I don't think, in fact, I know that it's no accident that we have stories in the Bible, crazy stories. I, this story is, is, is hilarious, if you ask me. The guy's climbed up on the roof with a guy on a gurney and they dug a hole in the roof, and they lowered him down in front of Jesus, uninvited. It's no accident that we have stories about stuff like that happening, about people bringing their friends to Jesus because their friends couldn't get there on their own. I want you to know, I, I love those guys. If you, if you ask me, who are your heroes of the faith? Who are the people in the Bible that you really look to as the guys that you... Is, you know, Paul, Peter, Abraham, Moses. Who, you know, you know who I like. I like the guys that lowered their friends through the roof. Those are my heroes, because I think that's what this is all about. I really do. It's about cutting holes in roofs, and, and it's about it's about finding a way to get to Jesus and helping our friends get to Jesus when they're too tired and too weak and too sick to get there. That's what it's really all about. Having friends who say, you know what? You can't go anymore. I'll cut a hole in the roof. That's what it takes, and I'm going to get you there. That's, that's really, really what this... I, I, I love that. I love that there's stories in the Gospels about parents' faith bringing healing and life to their kids. About employers' faith bringing healing and life to their employees. About neighbors' faith, bringing healing and life to their neighbors. I'm so glad that those stories are there because I think that's the way God planned it. That's what God intended. That's, that's what God wants. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I, I think we have got to understand that. If we don't get that, if we don't grasp that, if we don't realize that my faith, my prayers have an effect on your life, your faith and your prayers have an effect on my life, we really can't get anywhere in this deal. We'll never get traction. We've, we've got to understand that when we talk about being a, a missional community, we talk about being a community of faith, that that's on a spiritual level. Look, look, it's not just in name. We're a community. We're a congregation because we come together. We all worship here. We're in the same room at the same time. Yes. We're a community in terms of time spent together. We meet together. We talk together. Maybe you have home group of people, and you get together with them on a certain night of the week, and you pray and you worship together. 
that, that builds community. But I want you to know that there's a deeper level of community that the Bible is communicating here. It's, it's, there's a spiritual connection. We're community on a spiritual level in the sense that my faith and my prayers really can change your life. And your faith and your prayers really can change my life. That, that is huge. That's a huge, important thing for us to get a hold of. And if you don't get anything else out of this message or this series, I hope you get that. I hope that challenges you guys and encourages you to go home and pray for one another. To lift one another up. To remember every day to pray for the other people that you know, that you love, that you care for, that are struggling, that are having a hard time. Oh, man. Five minutes. Can I have five minutes? We also know this. Bible, the Bible teaches us that lack of faith, no faith, can prevent prayers from being answered as well. Um, this is, here is, this is one of the most perplexing verses in all of Scripture. All right? This is, I, I don't get, I don't, this one I don't get. I don't understand. Okay. Jesus is in his hometown. You know the story. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. NIV says he couldn't do many miracles there, I think. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say Jesus had enough faith. I don't know. It's just a guess. But he couldn't do some of the things he wanted to do because of the lack of other people's faith. I don't get that. That's one of those things John Wimber used to say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask about that one. And, and so I've kind of created my own list. And that's one of them. What, Jesus, what was up with that? Why could you not do what you want to do? Why, what does their lack of faith slow you down? I, I mean, I can understand why it slows me down, but, you know, I mean, come on, you're God. It tells me this. It tells me this. That when we talk in terms of the impact of faith on prayer and how prayer is received by God and why prayers are answered the way they are and some aren't answered the way that they're not, that it's a very, very complex situation. That there are no pat answers. There are no easy answers. God's will is a factor. Human free will is a factor. Angelic beings are a factor. Faith is a factor. Lack of faith is a factor. But it's a complex, complex situation. What if, what if the same thing? Two people, let's say Nike has an opening, good job, upper management, 80 grand a year, full benefits. 65 people apply, they narrow it down, there's two finalists for the position. Both happen to be Christians. They both pray, they both get their families to pray. They both ask their small groups to pray for this job. One of them is going to get that job and one of them is not. Does that mean that the one who got the job had more faith than the one who didn't? a trick question because what about the qualifications of those two maybe the one that had more faith actually had lower qualifications less experience weren't as good maybe maybe the boss liked one but what if the boss wasn't a christian what if the boss was a dirty old man and one of the one of the applicants was a cute young girl and the other was a geeky looking guy. He said, I'm hiking a cute girl. Forget the geeky young guy. Hires him. But they both prayed. Does that mean that he had less faith? No, absolutely not. 
It means that it's a complex situation, that there's so much involved in answered prayer. And, and it's, it, it really doesn't hold water to just look at somebody and say, your prayer wasn't answered because you don't have enough faith. One, one last point on this, and then we're going to close, and, and we'll move on. I, born you guys already um i, I want to talk just I, I i think you get the point but in, in response to not having enough faith being a legitimate answer as to why prayer isn't isn't answered one final point and i, and I want to go to the source here book of hebrews Hebrews 11.1 1 is the only definition. Scripture talks a lot about faith, a lot of illustrations of faith, a lot of stories of faith, examples of faith. This is the only definition that I've ever been able to find in all the Bible about faith. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is a conviction it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an assurance of something that we hope for. It's really this as much as anything else. I've heard it described as, as a vision of a preferable future. Faith is a vision. We see something in the heart of God. We begin to connect with Him. It's a vision that we see, and as we see it, we begin to move our life towards that thing in partnership with God, believing that He really can do that. But what it's not is a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that that thing is going to happen. It's not an absolute psychological certainty. We can have faith, and I want you to understand this is really, really important. You can have all kinds of faith for something, but that doesn't mean that you have a psychological certainty that that thing is going to happen. How do I know that? How can I say that? Why does it say it's being sure of something, certain of something, but it's not knowing that that thing is going to happen? The way I can say that, the reason I say that, is based on the text. Hebrews 11, the entire chapter is about faith. Verse 1 gives us the definition, and then from there it's called the you know, hall of faith or whatever, you can, you know, those are all added on names, but it's a whole list of people that, in the Old Testament, who illustrated great faith. So not only do we hold them up as our examples of faith, but the author of Hebrews has put them in the Bible as examples of faith. The people in Hebrews 11 are those that we look to and we say, what does faith look like? How does it work? We look to them, we read their stories, and we say, that's how faith works. That's what you do. That's how you move forward. That's how you have that vision from God, and you begin to walk in that vision. I want to look at what it says in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. He reiterates it again at the end of the chapter. He says, all these were commended for their faith. Yet none of them receive what have been promised. So I would su simply submit this. If the reason your prayer wasn't answered was because you don't have enough faith, then neither did they. It's just that simple. It's a vision of something that God has in his heart for us that we move toward, but it's not an absolute certainty that that thing is going to happen. I, I just want us to understand as much as anything tonight that it's a complex situation. 
and that we can't just throw out those pet answers, that we really do need to dig deeper into what Scripture is really teaching. And I'm sorry that we don't have enough time to kind of finalize that all tonight. But let's go ahead and stand. I said five minutes, and I went one minute over that. Um, this is what I want to do. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's running late, but I'm going to pray for some of you. I, I think there may be people here who have carried guilt with them because of things that happened in your life. And you walked away, either were told or believed somehow. Somebody, maybe it wasn't a person, maybe it was a little, uh, little fallen angel who spoke into your, your mind or your heart and said, well, that was your fault. If you had enough faith, that wouldn't have happened. And, and I, don't want you to, I don't want you to have to carry that anymore. So I'm just going to pray that God would lift that off you right now. So, Lord, I just thank you for your word, the truth of your word and the power of it and the healing freedom that comes in your spirit. And I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And I ask, Lord Jesus, if there's anybody here under the weight of guilt and the burden of unmet expectations who carries the guilt of having not had enough faith, that you would break that off of them, that you would break the grip and the hold of it now, today, permanently, forever, that they wouldn't have to walk out of here tonight feeling as though whatever happened, whether it was a sickness, a death, a broken relationship, failed marriage, whatever it was, that it wasn't because they didn't have enough faith. I pray you would release them from that burden, that you would free them from that, Lord God, that, that you would show them that your hand is upon their life, that you don't give scorpions, you give eggs, that you're a good and loving God, that good and perfect gifts come from you, that your will is for good and not for evil, and that you, Lord God, don't do tragic things in the lives of your people. So, Lord, let your healing come. Let your freedom come. 